Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Uh, good to see everybody. Wow, this is a lively crowd. I like it. My name's Tim. I'm one of the pastors here at the Vineyard, and uh, it's a beautiful day. Maybe the weather's going to clear out, and we're actually going to see some warm weather this week. So if you're here, our guest at the beach, welcome. May you have a great week here as our guest at my beach. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> Not do consider it my beach. So... There it is. Hey, I was having this conversation um, this past, well, actually, I have some ongoing conversations with people who don't believe in the existence of God. And, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's quite a new move nowadays, uh, kind of what some people have termed as neo-atheism, and that is a new atheism uh, with some flag care, you know, bearers like Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris and different people like this. And you know, if you've read their books, uh, you know, I, I read their books, and they were pretty good. And, uh, you know, till the bat latter part of the book, when they get so nasty about those of us who do believe. And, uh, but I'm having these conversations uh, this past, well, two weeks ago with some folks who are atheists. And I love having conversations around uh, these issues. And, and they, said, uh, they said to me, they said, Tim, you have to prove to us that God exists. And I said, no, you have to prove to me God doesn't exist. And they said, no, we don't even believe in him, so we don't have to prove that he doesn't exist. You believe he exists, so you have to prove that he exists. And I said, well, why are we having this conversation? Because you don't even believe that God does exist, so why would you waste time on something you don't think exists? Where's the energy coming from? Where's the emotion coming from? Where is all of that coming from? Why are you even so interested in a conversation? around this topic and then they switch and they say well if you believe in God then you just as well believe that your yard gnome which I don't have a yard gnome but if you had a yard gnome that that yard gnome is God and that yard gnome could have created everything or maybe the great spaghetti monster or flying monkeys and then it just got off on a tangent and then finally the guy says or what do you say about Hitler he was a Christian I'm like, where'd you get this stuff from, you know? And it's like the conversation devolves into, into this exchange of emotions. And, and there's got to be a better way to discuss such an important topic without it uh, just getting almost nasty and condescending, which I finally said, hey, what's with the condescension? You know, and, and eventually I got into another conversation. I've been in like I don't know how many over the last two weeks and uh, some of these are over tw- in Twitter and Facebook and such. And um, this one guy asked me, a uh, guy from Hollywood asked me, he says, do you know what cognitive dissonance is? Now, I'm slow, but it took me, for, you know, it took me just a second to realize I was being insulted, number one. And then number two, I was given a great gift when he said that. Cognitive dissonance, you know, when you hit something that makes you uncomfortable, whether it's a belief, and suddenly you're having this 
it's a disconnect and you're feeling very uncomfortable and you're, you're, you're wanting to run and hide or you're wanting to make up for this dissonance you're feeling in your, in your head and in your thought life. And so you may change the way you feel. You may change the way you believe. You may pick up another uh, belief or, or hide or whatever, but you want to resolve the dissonance. And so he was saying to me that my belief in God was the result of cognitive dissonance, that I had hit a spot in my life where the only way for me to resolve the dissonance was for me to believe in the yard gnome. And he, not even knowing my life, uh, would, you know, which I'm hoping uh, you can pray for me because I'm hoping in this conversation to get to this point where we can actually talk about our lives and for him to realize I was not at some tragic moment in my life when I began to follow Christ. It wasn't like that for me. And uh, so it was, a, it was a great conversation. And you know, when you guys, when all of us have those moments of cognitive dissonance, which we have them, when Christians have them and they're debating or talking with a friend who doesn't believe, it shows up. And eventually, if we start feeling pressed and a little doubtful in our own beliefs, we start getting nasty and mean as well. And we start throwing out words like, you're just ignorant and things like this and why don't you believe in God? You're going to burn in hell one day. Please, let's don't go there. When you feel dissonance or you feel like I don't have the answer for this, admit it. And then let that feeling of dissonance motivate you to get some answers or at least learn. I mean, somebody who doesn't have some doubts or some dissonance is not learning anymore. You've kind of removed yourself from the whole process. And let's don't do that. Those of us who are followers of Christ, let's don't feel so challenged to the point that we start getting scared for what we believe. Let that energy, let that uncomfortableness, let it drive us to even look deeper into the scriptures, to read more and to come to understand why we believe what we believe. We are starting a new series today, uh, as you saw from the buffer video uh, it's called Essential Doctrines, and, and uh, as we make our way to Easter, uh, the next four weeks we'll be looking at uh, the, the major beliefs that we have in order to celebrate Easter like we should. And it starts with God. And as I've been working on this series, I've realized after my conversations with, with uh, so many of these atheists is that the stuff that I'm reading and studying the main questions they have. And so I tagged it with Easter for Atheists because uh, it's kind of neat the way God allows me to have conversations with unbelievers and I'm going into a series like this. I I couldn't help but see God kind of, you know, networking this all together. And I love being able to use uh, something I enjoy so much like a conversation with someone who doesn't believe and it's actually sermon prep too, you know, and so it's, uh, it's, it's quite enjoyable. I, I like it. And it all begins with a belief in God. Basic, the first step is does God, a creator, does he actually exist? We can't really get to Easter unless we have enough evidence or we are convinced at least to look at that and say that's true because we never really make our way to Jesus. We really never deal with the subject of what has kept us away from God and why we feel so disconnected from God. And that's what we're going to be looking at over the next four weeks. 
And again, like I said, just because you have doubts, you know, if you don't, matter of fact, if you don't have some doubts and you don't have some things that you're not settled with, you're probably not in a position to learn. So I hope that we can all be honest in here and go, yeah, you know, I've had the same question before. But is there enough evidence? Is there enough information for us to make a decision to say, yeah, you know what? It makes sense that a God of creation exists. I mean, you came in here this morning. We make decisions without having all the information all the time, do we not? You guys came in here this morning, and you sat in the chair that you're in. Now, how do you know I didn't saw those legs? How do you know I wasn't in here? <laughs> you know? And so that when you sat down, they collapsed on you. I didn't see anybody come in going, you know, looking at the chair. Because you walked in, you had enough information, you looked around, you took in what it was, but you didn't know for sure that chair would hold you. And you sat in it. You took in the information and you made a decision. How many of you pick up a book or you're watching a you know, National Geographic or the Travel Channel and you see a place, a beautiful place somewhere halfway around the world and, and you go, man, I'd like to go there. I mean, you've never been there, and you're looking at pictures, you're looking at videos, you're reading about it, you know it's so beautiful. You've read the testimony of those who have been there, and you go, I really want to go there. So you go out, and you buy a ticket, and you get on this aluminum tube. Aluminum tube that is slung up into the air 15,000 feet with the belief that it's going to land close to that picture or that video that you saw that you want to see, but you've never seen, and all you have is the testimony of other people, but you put yourself and your life on the line to get there to see it because you took in the information and you made a, a rational decision. Well, not rational, but, you know, you wanted to see the place, right? So you got on it. We make decisions every day not having 100%, you know, absolute uh, we can't push away any type of question. Well, there's no way we live like that. We couldn't live life. We would live in our homes and lock the doors and become very unhealthy if we live life like that, looking for absolutely truth for every single thing we did. We'd be so paranoid and so shaky, but we don't. We look for information, and we make life threatening sometimes or we put our lives on the line by those you know by the information we take in and that's all i'm asking all i'm asking and i ask my atheist friends is will you just take the information in and then consider the possibility of a grand intelligent designer would you just take the information in now give me your information back and let's talk about it and I want to say up front, you know, pastors make a mistake talking about these things many times because we're pastors. I'm a pastor. I'm a guy like you and just been following Jesus, and here's where I am. And, uh, you know, we, I'm no scientist, you know. At one time I was in engineering, and I love engineering, and I like one, two, three, four, and I like to understand things. But I'm no scientist, and so I have copious footnotes today if anybody wants to know some of the things I'm going to say. This is, a lot of this isn't me. I read a lot. I'm the type of person who is seeking all the time. I want you to know, but I am no scientist. I hate to be wrong, ask my wife. And, um, and so I kind of go overboard reading sometimes things I don't understand in the hopes that if I read it long enough, I will understand. 
like string theory. I'm reading through that right now, trying to understand that whole theorem and trying to get a grasp on, uh, on it just so I can talk and have conversations with people. So we're going to talk about God today. We're launching this series around uh, essential doctrines, and we've got to start there. So let's pray, and then we'll turn over to Genesis and as well as the Gospel of John. Father, thank you for this time together. <laughs> I really do, Lord. Uh, I just want to say thank you for revealing enough of yourself to me, for me to believe, for me to trust, and for me to take that step toward you. And that was because you stepped toward me first. And I, I thank you for that, Lord. And I ask today that you would help us as you step toward us in your word and that somehow in our heart we would be able to, to reach back to you as well. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. Come, presence of God. You do what only you can do. And so, Lord, breathe life on your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, familiar passage, Genesis 1, verses 1 through 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. I, I like that picture of hovering over the waters. And even if you read some, you know, if you read the science behind uh, creation and such, uh, that hovering over the waters. There were like two pictures during this period of time in the scripture as Moses was writing this to his culture. And two of the pictures for that word of hovering, one was like a, a hen hovering over its chicks, spreading its wings out over its chicks. That was kind of like God hovering over his creation with his wings to take care of it. But another picture from another culture at that time that used the same word was the picture of a vulture circling over its carnage and about to go down on it. But the, the, the key thing is the word in the Syriatic language was that it was circling, and that's a much better word, and it actually fits this whole description, and that is that God's presence was circling over the chaos, moving over the chaos of creation in the beginning. And so that's, uh, I just think that's a beautiful picture, hovering. And if you look at the pictures and that people put up and the, they design of how it all started, you'll see this movement, this circling, you know, through creation. And then if you take your Bibles and flip over to John, the, fir, uh, the Gospel of John, you know, what, 1,800 years or so later, amazing, uh, that we read this in the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I mean, it's amazing to me that almost 2,000 years, you know, has gone by. And then when John gets up to write his account of his life with Jesus, he begins basically the same way that Genesis does. Now, you know, John probably didn't have an exact copy or whatever. So, I mean, nobody can make this stuff up. I mean, really, think about it. God's smart. Lacing all of this together, all those hundreds of years apart, he brings the story of Genesis together around the fact that Jesus has come to the world. And so, uh, you know, you have in the beginning, in the beginning. 
you have God, you know, then you have the Word, Logos, the Word, and we'll talk about that word in a few minutes. There was darkness, and the Word did what? He brought light into the darkness. It's just amazing. And the question we want to ask through this is, does belief in God make sense? Or does faith in random chance? Which one? You have a fill-in in your um, handout today if you want to take it out and track along with me. There's three fill-ins. And the first one is this. The Scripture teaches us, and I, I, think, uh, I think there's a lot of science behind this as well, but Scripture teaches us that God pre-exists His creation. God pre-exists His creation. In the beginning, God. In the beginning was the Word. Now, that doesn't mean there was creating going on at that moment. It, it's like a, this is like a, uh, an introduction You know, in the beginning, God, and here it comes. Something is about to happen. Um, The the big question always for most everyone who struggles with the existence of God or says there's not is how does something come from nothing? How does this and how does our universe and how does it all come from nothing? There's a term that's batted about down through history, ex nihilo, out of nothing. Can something come ex nihilo, out of nothing? Is that even rational that something can come out of nothing? They're batting this around, and I think now the, none of this has been proven yet, but like the string theory thing is being batted around as some option to this. But there's, it's all just theories. It's all just discussion. And, and so far, we have seen nothing that can justify the fact that this world, this universe... This place, all of creation, can just suddenly appear without something having it appear. And God pre-existed his creation. I mean, why don't we see things just appearing anymore? You know, like, why didn't a chair, we talked about chair, just show up right now? And the chair doesn't show up. You know, if we piled the parts of a computer up on this stage and we had it way up here and then Sunday after Sunday we kept coming back in here and coming back in here and going, I just wonder when this out of nothing is going to happen and that computer is suddenly going to make its way into this beautiful machine that can just operate so wonderful and answer so many questions for us. When's it going to happen? You know, we would come back in here Sunday after Sunday and there would be a pile of just boards and wires and capacitors and all kind of things here forever. How can something come from nothing? Unless there is something that causes something to come from nothing. It's a valid question. A valid question. And it's one philosophers and, and uh, scientists and everyone's been debating for, for millennia. And it's a valid question. Scripture tells us that God created it. That God has always been. And so he decided to create what we see. The universe. In the beginning, and this means that there was nothing really created right here at this point, but rather it's a literary introduction to what is to follow. A summary. I told the first service, I played in an orchestra and we toured Europe back when I was really young, and and, uh, when I read this, Genesis 1-1, and in the beginning, as an introduction to to what God is about to do, I saw my old conductor, Professor Hahn. I saw him with his baton in hand, and about a 125-piece orchestra we were in, and I saw him take that baton and tap it, tap, 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 
which means attention. You know, and then when he lifted that baton, all the instruments went up. And that's what I saw in Genesis 1.1. Is God in creation taps on creation. And all of creation begins to notice. Because the music is about to be played. And so there's such anticipation in the beginning. Moses is writing, and this is important for us too to notice. Moses is writing to a culture very unlike ours. There were no atheists, no agnostics during this period of time. And so we, we try to argue this a lot of points from this scripture. But Moses, Moses wrote to a, a, a very a polytheistic, they, they had no problem believing in gods. But one God who created it all, they'd never heard of. This would have been foreign to this culture and in this context, so it's important for us to understand while we read this, who is Moses writing to? He's writing to pantheists, people who worship the universe, worship the creation, but didn't worship God. And to polytheists, those that had many gods. And so it's, it's you know, we have, to, we have to consider that. Plus, we have to say Moses is not, was not a scientist. He wasn't. The Bible is not a science book. Now, it may have some science in it, but it's not a science book. It's got a lot of history in it. Beautiful history, verifiable history, especially the book of Acts. Amazing. But it's not a history book. It is a book of God's intent for His creation, which is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. All of it works toward that. But along the way, we can learn some things and we can get a view into how God has created and why God has created. But, uh, you know, when I'm talking with these guys, whether it's on Twitter and Facebook or having coffee together or whatever, you know, I want to be very careful in saying, you know, I'm looking at it, though I read books of science, but I'm looking at the Bible from the story of God's love for his creation and the story of God's love for this atheist, that he loves them and he cares for them. And he wants to reveal himself to them. So I'm praying that way through, through all of it. And so we need to remember that as we look through this scripture. So when it first began, it was formless. It was chaotic. It was empty. John Walton, uh, theologian John Walton, describes it this way. He says, the earth was non-functional, primordial, Watery darkness prevailed and a supernatural wind that was permeated with the power of God circled or circulated over the surface of the waters. I think I've seen some pictures of that. God is about bringing the cosmos into existence by organizing and assigning roles, bringing order to chaos. And that's exactly what he did in creation. Nobel laureate uh, Arno Penzias, physics in physics said, the best data we have concerning the Big Bang are exactly what I would have predicted had I nothing to go on but the five books of Moses, the Psalms, and the Bible as a whole. And this leads to the question, how confident are you in random chance or does belief in God make some sense? Does it make some sense? The Crawford Prize winner in astronomy, Alan Sandage, said that I find it quite improbable that such order came out of chaos. There has to be some organizing principle. God to me is a mystery, but is the explanation for the miracle of existence. 
why there is something instead of nothing. And Moses makes his case, and this leads to your second fill-in in your handout, and that is God the Creator is King. God the Creator is King. Now this was, this was an amazing statement for Moses to make to his culture and his context. All those, a couple of thousand years ago now. I mean, for him to say to this polytheistic group, there is only one God and he is the king and he's the creator of everything you see would have been just blasphemous to the, to the whole culture. And so he is making a statement that God the creator is the ruler. He's bringing order to chaos. He is separating and defining and creating, and, uh, creating limits and boundaries. And uh, have you ever thought that the universe looks kind of fine-tuned? I mean, it's kind of dialed in, would you? I mean, we're sitting here today. We're doing pretty good. We're not zooming off in space somewhere and, you know, arms and legs. You know, we just, we're in here. We're comfortable. The universe is just perfectly designed. Some people say it's designed on a razor's edge. That if we went one way or the other, we would cease to exist and the world that we know would cease to exist. It would be gone. I mean, it would be like, I'm just trying to bring in some examples, but it would be like you walking in one Sunday. I was mentioning computers a while ago. And up on this stage is this. Oh, it's a beautiful machine. That, my friend, is a Mac Pro configuration, which includes an Intel Xeon E5, 2.7 gigahertz, 12 core, CPU, 64 gigabyte of RAM, a one terabyte SSD, dual AMD Fire Pro D700 cards with six gigabyte of RAM. And it's just sitting up here. Now, would you walk in and go, wow, look what appeared? Or would you go, man, the Mac guys have outdone themselves. And it will cost you $10,000 to buy that computer. Would you look at that creation and look how finely tuned it is and look at the input that goes into it and how it sticks together and would you go, there's got to be something behind this. Who are the designers? Of course, it's Mac. Yeah, of course, it's Apple. That's who it is. Sorry, I'm biased. But, um, I'm just, does it make sense to look at design and say, there must be some intellect behind all of this? The atheist Richard, Richard Dawkins and I have read his books and uh, watched him debate William Lane Craig and some other uh, apologists, but Richard Dawkins, what a character, said, um, the physicist problem is the problem of ultimate origins and ultimate natural laws. The biologist's problem is the problem of complexity. I mean, it is a problem. Does it make sense to believe in random chance? Or may you consider the fact that a creator exists, someone behind all of this finely tuned world. Now they say that if the neutron mass was just one-tenth of a percent more massive, that the universe would not have sufficient heavy elements for essential life, and so we would cease to exist. If it were one-tenth of a percent more, all of the stars would collapse into a black hole. If the strong nuclear force were just 2% weaker or three-tenths of a percent stronger, the universe would lack sufficient quantities of essential elements and we would cease to exist. Now, I could just look at the eye. If you just look at a cross-section of the eye and all that your eye does, it is an amazing piece of work, perfectly designed for what it does. Who is the king? Who has the intelligence? Who is ruling and reigning behind all of this? Moses says it's God. 
The God of the universe is the king over all of it. And how confident are you in random chance? Or does belief in God make any sense? And it gets better in John 1, 1 that we read. In the beginning was the word, the word logos. And the word, we read that, and I think, you know, if I read that without having studied the Bible for so long, I mean, that's weird. In the beginning was the word. What do you mean the word? Word, you know, I mean, really? What does that mean? Seinfeld, what does it mean? You know, in the beginning was the word, logos, and the word was God. He was with God, catching it? In the beginning, through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. They tell us that logos has a broad meaning. Uh, of course, we've got to put it in context, but it can even mean inner thought. It can mean thought and reason. It can even be applied as science in, in, in some of its form or outward expression. What is logos, the word? In the beginning was the word. Uh, theologian D.A. Carson says it beautifully here in that God's word, logos, is his Powerful self-expression in creation. Revelation and salvation and the personification of that word makes it suitable for John to apply it as a title to, I love this phrase, God's ultimate self-disclosure. The person of his own son. The most powerful expression of God, of him revealing himself, To you is his son, but he ties it to creation all the way back to the beginning because God is still creating. He's still bringing order out of chaos in his creation. You see? You see the comparison? You see what what John's doing? All of creation is pointing toward this day and time when God's self-expression in Jesus Christ would come. And that's what the first chapter of John is all about. It has happened in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the king. He was there at creation, creating along with his Father and the Holy Spirit moving over the chaos. Your last feeling is this. God pursues his purpose through creation. God pursues his purpose through through creation. Dr. Don Williams, one of the vineyard scholars, said uh, this about creation. He said, Have you noticed how there is a destiny within the days of creation? Seven days, whether they are 24-hour days or time periods, okay, I'm not getting into that, either one shows purpose. Either one of them shows purpose. Whether you believe it's 24 hours a day or whether you believe these are seven time periods, they show purpose. History begins with creation. History is not to be separated from creation. Creation is not a product of random chance. Creation is not a product of luck or mindless forces. Creation is a product of the design and purpose of the self-conscious God. When John describes Jesus as the word, he points and spotlights what it was all about, what all of creation from the dawn of time, it was all building up to that moment in John 1 where his son would come. Colossians 1, 16 through 17 in the New Testament says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, 
whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He even keeps it together. He holds all this together for you. When I was debating one of my atheist friends, and I do consider him a friend, and this one particular guy, he and his family would be welcome in our home anytime without having to have a debate. And, uh, you know, he made the mention that all we are are leftovers of an exchange of DNA. And so I asked him, I said, so, is that what you see when you look in your daughter's eyes? Is that what you see when you look in your children's eyes? Is that all they are is just leftover sharing of DNA with some other animal? Is that it? Or do you see something else in their eyes? Is there something else that speaks back to you about purpose and about design? How do you describe love? How do you describe caring? Where does that come from? Why do we have it? Does your kid walk up to you on Father's Day and say, thanks for the DNA, Dad. (laughs) Thanks. I'm glad you just whatever with Mom, you know? I mean, (laughs) easy, Tim. (sighs) Man, there was no answer to that question because that hits a little Another spot in our life, doesn't it? It opens up, why would God do this if not for those moments and times when we see his purpose, we see his grand design, and we go, there's so much more going on here than what I thought. How confident are you in random chance and does belief in God make some sense? Does it? The question we've been asking is, do I believe there is a creator? Do I believe there is some personal, intelligent being that has designed and created this amazing universe, this world, the people I love, this life? If there is purpose, who brought purpose to it? What's the cause? There must be some cause behind that singularity, that moment when things began to start up. What is the cause behind that? Who brought the purpose to it? Is there such a person such a thing as God. But you know what? It's not just left up to the facts and checking off the, like, this, 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 and this. That's not how we get to God always. I didn't get there that way. I I got there because the lights just went on. The guy that shared Jesus with me, I didn't go, well, let me get my checklist here. Okay, explain creation to me. It didn't come like that, you know. I mean, it came to me like it made sense. A guy told me about Jesus. I knew there was a gap between me and God. I couldn't get there. He said Jesus made, you know, he bridged that gap. And deep inside of me, I knew it was true, that I was separated from my creator. I knew it. I couldn't explain it, but I knew it. So there's that element that's almost intangible. You can't describe it, but you know if God has placed something deep inside of your heart, not just the facts that line up, and we go, I think there is enough evidence for me to believe that there is a God, but which one and and who? And we're going to talk about that in the next couple of weeks as we move on in this. And what's the problem with God? With us in God. So you know right now if God is wooing because it tells us that God calls us. And then we respond. And so we have these notes and 
We look at the facts and figures and we read to try to discover, but deep inside there's something that can't be, just can't be, you just can't put it up here on a piece of paper. It's what you feel in your heart. And maybe you're having a little cognitive dissonance. (laughs) That's good. I like cognitive dissonance because it means I can learn. It means I can seek, I can take another step. If I'm feeling uncomfortable and I'm feeling like I need to change my, my, maybe the way I'm looking at something, it's good. It's a learning moment. It's a great time of seeking. But in your heart, you know that maybe God is wooing you and pulling you. In Acts 17, verse 24 through 27, Paul is standing on Mars Hill. It's the pinnacle of philosophical wisdom of the whole ancient world. You can still go there today. I've seen it in pictures. Jump on the tube and go, you know. And Paul is standing there, and he's talking with the philosophers of his day. He has seen every single major god and gods. He even saw a statue to the unknown god. They're trying to cover all their bases. And Paul engages these philosophers in trying to get them to see Christ and to see the resurrection. And there he is, some believe, even being brought into court, possibly, that his life could even be threatened at this moment. But they take him up onto Mars Hill, and this is what he says to those brilliant philosophers of the day. A place where Plato and Aristotle and all these wise men had stood in all these years. And Paul says this, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps Reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. How beautiful. God is bigger than everything. He's not served by our hands. He doesn't need anything from us. And yet, everything we see and everything that's made was made for us to get our attention to come to him. So that, Paul says, perhaps, just possibly, as you take note of it all, you would reach out your hand because after all, he's close by right now. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.